Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for every heart that's ready to receive, every mind that's alert and attentive. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to hold your Bible. Hold it up. Like Brother John Osteen said, the father, he said, make, make the devil nervous. <laughs> Amen. Say this with me. This is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. You know, if we really believe that, like we should, I boldly confess, I'll be taught the Word of God today. My mind is alert. My heart is ready to receive. I will never be the same. Now shout it out. Never, never, never. Never the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And see, that's, that's the difference in people's lives that have made an eternal difference in the Bible is they believe that God was who he said he was and that he's not a man that should lie. He's not a man, the Bible says. You know, you hear people say, you know, just put in a good word for me for the man upstairs. He's not a man. Just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, he's not saying that, you know, hey, I'm going down over to Bismarck, and um, we're going to take off some time. He's talking about leaving the earth. And he goes on to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. So when you read this, Paul started out his race on the road to Damascus, meeting Jesus having a head-on collision with, with the Lord. He finished his course. The will of God is that we all finish our course. And of course, that means that we need to be on the right course, be in exactly the same, um, the right exact place that God wants us to be individually. That's different from your neighbor. That's different from everyone else. That's why even as a church, Every church has a specific thrust. And, and every person, every minister, every person in the body of Christ even should not just try to imitate other people. Hear from heaven for yourself and do what God's called you to do. <clears throat> now you can learn a lot from other people, but do what God's telling you to do. So Paul, one of the things we see about Paul is he fully followed the Lord. You know, the Bible is full of people, I believe, that, that went all the way with God. I mean, no, it's easy to stop. It's easy to take a detour. You know, you ever been on the interstate and then you, you take a detour 
and then you pass the people that you passed like hours ago, you know, then you have to repass them again or whatever. And so we have to be faithful to finish the course that God has called us to. So in life, it doesn't matter. And this is not just a good, you know, self-help slogan, but it doesn't matter how you start, but it does matter how you finish. How many remember Jesus told this parable? He talked about different ones, and he said, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. He said, you have this one who his father asked him to go do something, and he didn't do it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. But then they said afterward, he went and did it. Then you had this other son who said, okay, I'm going to go do it. But then he just said, no, I'm not, afterward, I'm not going to do it. He said, which one is the one that's going to be celebrated? He said, of course, the first one. So it doesn't matter if you didn't do everything right at the beginning, but did you finish and did you finish strong? That's what the Lord wants us to do is to finish and to finish strong. To be faithful to finish. So God is calling us to run our race today and to finish strong. We all have a race that we begin when we surrender our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must not get sidetracked from that, though, and get taken away from that. Now I want you to look um, in this verse again. He says, I, forgot, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that also love his appearing. But I want you to keep reading. Look, he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Now, Demas was a traveling partner of Paul. We see his name other places in the New Testament. So we're not just talking about someone who was uh, hearsay and someone here, just like Jesus had Judas on, on staff. He was a disciple. He was an original apostle of the Lamb. Talking about the Lamb of God. The, the original apostles of the Lamb. And he, he, he actually sold out. And so anyway... Demas, the Bible says, he's forsaken me, having loved this present world. He got to the place where he loved other things more than the plan of God. More than he loved serving God. You know that none of us is immune to that? I don't care how many good sermons you've heard. You can have closets full of, of tapes and cassettes and CDs and DVDs and 8-tracks and everything. VHS, I still got a whole box full of VHS and... DVDs and, and uh, iPods. and you, you can have all of that and still forfeit what God has for you. So this morning, I want to share along the lines of following the Lord all the way. Fully following the Lord, my God. Now I want you to look over in the book of Judges, chapter 7. And as we said, I believe that, that you being here today shows that you really want to follow the Lord. You, you, you're, you're out not just to be a nominal Christian. You know, a nominal Christian could be making cookies right now. But you're here to hear the word of the Lord. 
But look at Judges chapter 7. And I want to look at several different examples in the word of people that I believe that they went all the way with God. You know, I shared this, what was it, Wednesday night about abiding in the Lord. And one of the things I said was this. There's certain people that they, you know, certain people like, who in here plays golf? Okay. If you play golf, you know what the fringe is. The fringe of the green. To me, that's an unsafe place. I usually putt. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to take a chance, you know, if I'm, if I'm a little bit right, right off the green. That, to me, that's the, the place that I can, you know, try to just tap it, and I hit it 40 yards over the green on the other side. And then you're in worse place than ever, you know. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to putt from like 200 feet here, you know. Well, you know, in life, the hanging on the round the fringes is, is dangerous with God. So we don't want to just hang on, on the fringe. So one of the things we see is this. We see that there were certain people, and I made this analogy. I just want to just reiterate just for a second that I said Wednesday. And so this will reinforce it for those that were here Wednesday. One of the things that we see is Jesus had the multitudes. And in fact, the multitudes came. In fact, they had a miracle, and they said, hey, we're coming back to get some more food. We, you know, hey, we get some more bread and, and you know, a three-piece um, fish and chips dinner here. And... Um, Man, we're, we're going we're to have another miracle. And so Jesus even addressed that and said, hey, because you saw the miracle, you came back. So we see multitudes. Then we see that there were some that were closer to Jesus that Jesus authorized in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 9, that, that went out and it said that they would be with him, the disciples, and that they would go and, and minister. But you had the 70 that he authorized to heal the sick, cast out devils. But how many know there was 12 also that was even closer? And so those 12 disciples were privy to a lot of other things and, and meetings and, and the parables and different things like that. But then the Bible talks about Peter, James, and John that he took the, in different places when he raised um, Jairus' um, daughter, when he raised other people from the, the Bible says he took Peter, James, and John. When he was transfigured on the mount, the Bible said, who did he take? Peter, James, and John. And so, but when we study that, we see that there's one individual who actually enjoyed it seemed, and for some reason, this is the case. There are certain people that enjoy a closer relationship with God than others. And not because God chooses it to be that way. But you know, how many know we can, we can have all of God that we want? Anytime that we say, Lord, that's all, that's as far as I want to go. He says, okay. He doesn't upbraid you or anything, but that's where you stop. So John, though, the Bible says that he, he was close. In fact, you know what his claim to fame was? I'm, I'm sure other people had other things, you know, they want to call themselves this or that. John called himself, the, the, I'm the disciple whom the Lord loved. <laughs> But here's the great thing. He, he doesn't just have exclusive rights to that. I'm the disciple the Lord loves. Amen. There, there's a pastor's wife. I've, I've heard her say it before. She says, I know I'm God's favorite, and I know that. You know, it says in her, her Arkansas accent, you know. And, um, 
But you know, you can be God's favorite too. So, so having fellowship with God, having that place, you can go all the way. Now, I want you to look here in Judges chapter 7. Then Gideon and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, So, so what, what's going to happen? He's going to say, There's too many. Do you understand what God is saying? He's saying, There's too many people here. You're going to take the credit for it. If, if I give the Midianites in your hands. So what we're going to do is we're going to clean out a little bit. He goes to the ears of the people and says, Okay. There's 32,000 of them. Okay, anyone here who's fearful, go home. Now, would you think there'd be a, maybe a, thousand, a couple thousand people or something? And there returned to the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. That'd be like getting up on a Sunday morning. Okay, every one of you that's, that's afraid, go home. And you lose 60% of your crowd right there. That's what he's saying. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto you, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with you. And of whomsoever I will say unto you, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by them himself. Likewise, everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Can you imagine what happened? Maybe the 300 said, where did everyone go? Gideon, you're crazy. You better go listen to God. I'm sure that they really doubted that he even heard from the Lord. <laughs> now look, look down in um, <clears throat> verse 9. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get down into the host, for I have delivered it into your hand. How many know that we've heard this language before in the Old Testament? I have delivered them into your hand. But just because God delivers something into your hand doesn't mean it's just going to fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree. You still have to go in and possess it. We see that with the giants in the land in Numbers. And we're going to look at that in just a few minutes, but you still have to go and possess what God's given to you. You know, salvation in its fullest belongs to every person in the world but they have to possess it. Healing belongs to you, you have to possess it. Abundance belongs to you, but you have to possess it. You know what happens a lot of times though? Just like we, we sang that song, yet no, Jesus the sovereign one. A lot of times people though, when they don't know what the will of God is or don't care, they just say, well, God is sovereign. So that means it doesn't matter what I believe, God's going to do what he's going to do because he's just going to do it because he's God. But that, that's taking a, a, a real um, lazy approach to the Word of God. 
That's why God gave us the word so we can know what it says. See, that's what the devil, he's just counting on us just being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's just counting on us being lazy and, and just, just throwing up our hands and say, well, whatever the will of the Lord is. Now, you should want to know what, you should say, yes, Lord, your will be done in my life. But I want it according to what the will of God is in the, in the book. So notice he says, verse 10, But if you fear to go down, go thou with Pura thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall your hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers, for multitude. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it, and dead it fell and overturned it that the tent lay alone. And his fellow answered me and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And when it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And we see this whole thing where, where he gives direction he says you're going to break this picture you're going to blow the trumpet and you're going to say the sword of the Gideon the sword of the Lord and what happens is God routes the enemy gives him a great victory but you know even think about thinking about Gideon how easy it would have been for him to give up how easy it would have been for him to just say you know I'm going to stop right here I'm going to just you know God you just got rid of a, a two-thirds of my army you know, there's no way we could do this. And then God gets rid of even more. I mean, they probably look like a bunch of Gomer piles out there. You know, 300 against that big army. But God tells them to go and gives them a great victory. Now, I want you to turn over to Numbers chapter 13. Because this passage is so typical even of life today. Numbers chapter 13. Now I'm going to begin in verse 1. We're going to skip around in this chapter a little bit. But. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. See, God's given to them that land. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those that were men, all those men were heads of the children of Israel. Verse 17, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein. 
whether they be strong or few, or I mean, strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be, now notice that in this, and be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now, why did he tell them that? Because he didn't tell them to get afraid about it. He didn't tell them, okay, I want you to see, see the land that it is what God said, but now you be depressed about it. No, he said, you be of good courage. Why? Because the Lord's already given you the city. And it, it talks about them going up for searching. Um, verse 21 talks about them searching up for 40 days. Now look at verse 26. And they went and came to Moses. This is after 40 days. And to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. You know, it's just like God said. It's a good land. It, it's just like he said. Even, we've never seen anything like this before. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now see, that's the most natural reaction when, when people see, you know, what the circumstances are. They're afraid. They're just saying, this is what it is. Nevertheless, I know God said that, but. I know God said that, but. Look in verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people. Before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. Now you think about that. When you, you have so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the, and, and he steals the people. You know, you can't just get over there and just say, okay, everybody. Now listen now. We're going to have to. He didn't have a PA system. I mean, think about what, what it took for him to steal the people. I, I could just imagine he just said, hush. You know, sometimes you just have to tell people to hush. And he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. See, faith needs to move immediately. See, doubt and unbelief wants you just to linger and stay into that place. But, doubt and, but faith grabs a hold and faith says, let's go up at once. Let's do it now. Let's go. But the man that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people. I, I can imagine that we, they even had like in, in mournful tones. You could imagine them saying, we be not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. See, God calls an evil report one of doubt and unbelief. He says, the land through which, though which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of a great stature. 
There we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Now, you know, as we said before, they have a real short-term memory. Because what was in Egypt? Slavery. I don't care about the leeks and the onions either. The only, the only person I know that eats uh, onions like that is the Grinch, and that's why he's a Grinch. So, but if you're happy, if you if you're full of faith, you know that the promised land is before you; it's not behind you. And as we see all this down here, in verse seven, they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, "The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land." If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. Now, see, this is uh, Joshua. He's like, he, it says he rent their clothes. Now, so, you know, sometimes you just have to stop people. Like he said, you have to steal the people. He says, only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. What's he saying? It's a piece of cake. <laughs> They're bread for us. Their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have shown them? Now look down in... Um, Skip down to verse number 17. And now I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great, according as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Look at verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, now this is the verse, this is the punchline. My servant Caleb, because he hath an, another spirit. You know, you, you have to have a different spirit than the, what the world has. You, you have to be different from other people. Don't be conformed, the Bible says, to this world. 
But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it say, no, you're going to be just like us. So, so that's why the Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to go upstream. Amen. Who, who's ever felt like that as a believer? Like, you know, on the job, you're talking about the Lord. And, and you know, like we were talking to John, and you just like, you know, some people don't want to hear what you say, and then some people receive. And then some people, the next person, what do you do? Next. Next. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, but it's easy just to float downstream. But see, the spirit of faith is a different spirit. And let me just say this. The spirit of faith, the spirit of faith will irritate the religious. And it irritates people that are complacent. Why? Because the spirit of faith says, they're bread for us. It's ours. We can do it. Let's go do it. Let's go get it. But it's easier just to sit in the tent and cry and say, no, no, can't do it, you know, and, and say, you know, it's too big, it's too big. Let me ask you this. Many times in life, is it because the circumstance is too big or is it because our faith has been too small? The Bible says that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able See, people take that and they, they misconstrue it and, and they twist it. And they say, well, you know, it's like the Bible says, God won't put more on you than you can handle. That's not what that verse says. It says that he will not allow you to be tempted above your able. So if you have something coming against you right now, God knows it's not too big for you. But how many know, just like you give your kids more responsibility, as you grow and you prove yourself faithful, you come to another place. And how many know there's going to be, we don't like to know this or say it, but there's more tests. Yeah. It's not God testing it, but the devil's going to test you. He's going to do different things. To, and you know, it's, it's kind of humorous, but like, like um, our pastor said years ago, and other people coined this, but he's the, the one that kind of said it first. <clears throat> but he, he said this, a new level, a new devil. And he said he got that from Pac playing Pac-Man. Or, you know, you watching Pac-Man and like, weed water, 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 you know, that thing coming at you. And well, what happens when you get to the next level, what? It comes faster and faster. And then, you know, that thing just when you die, you know. <laughs> but see, that's what happened. You get to a new level, there's a new devil. You know, even Paul said, there was sent to me a messenger of Satan. Now think about Paul. The devil actually assigned Angelos, uh, an angel of, of, if you could say death, yes, an angel, uh, a minister of Satan, was sent. To everywhere he went, there was revival or riot. And what to always, it's like he had supernatural persecution. And it was because this demon spirit followed him around. And Paul said that I prayed three times to the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Not for him to put up with it, but for him to deal with it. Well, God, just, just take, Lord, I just pray you do one or two things. You either, um, um, you know, give me the grace to deal with it or just take half of it away. 
God wants to deliver you from those things. Not just take half of it away from you. Where were we when we got into all that? So we see here that he had a different spirit. But I want you to notice what he says here. He had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So why did the other people not go in? Because it was only Joshua and Caleb that went all the way. It was only Joshua and Caleb that made the decision, I don't care what these unbelieving other people are doing, we we believe God. Now, you know, it cost them 40 years. That's why you have to watch out for who you associate with. They might cause you 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I don't have 40 years to wait. I'll be 90 years old and I'll be like, okay, let's go into the promised land. You know, let's let's do it, you know. (laughs) Logan will be 55. Yes, dad, let's go do it, you know. (laughs) But look, look right here in verse 28. He says, saying to them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. So it matters what we say. Because what happens when we say something, you know, people just think, oh, that's just those people that believe in faith. God believes in faith. And what you say is going to set the course in your life. Can you say amen? Now, if you look over in um, Numbers chapter 32 real quickly. Look in verse 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war and you sit here? And why or wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed after the Lord or followed the Lord. So that's why we have to follow him fully in this day and hour. How many know there's there's no place to to be on the fence? Now Matthew 5.48 says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Which I know everyone in this room, you've been obeying that verse since the first time you heard it. What does he mean? Does he mean flawless? Does he mean that without any kind of uh, flaw in your life? Well, of course not. But what, what does that word mean, perfect? It means complete. It means entire. And we see it in other verses. But another word is wholehearted. So, you know, we're to serve the Lord with a perfect heart. If you read the Old Covenant, many times you'll see this phrase, um, that he did this, he removed the high places, but he did not have a perfect heart. So, 
I don't have the, the references this morning, but there's a couple of scriptures in, in particular in the Old Covenant that talk about that this one did everything that was right, but their heart was not perfect to God. But then you see other people that they did a lot of good things, but then they left some things undone. They forgot to remove the, these groves or, or this high place or this idol. But it said, but their heart was perfect towards the Lord. What does that mean? Their heart was right. The Bible says that God looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. So, you know, even as believers, the thing that should be our main focus is what is our heart? Now, kind of on the flip side, some people say, well, you know, you know, maybe something happened and, you know, something that someone didn't do. And they say, well, you know, God knows my heart. He does. (laughs) And sometimes he's not pleased with it. But, you know, it should never be a a lack of trying on our part. It should never be a a place. We should be wholehearted to God. Amen. Amen. That's why with this church, this is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's doing. There's nothing too much. I I like what I um, I heard a minister saying this. He said, when it comes to the things of God, you really can't spend too much. Oh, man, should we get the two-ply or the one-ply toilet paper? You know, just crazy (laughs) stuff. Crazy stuff that splits churches. You know, should we get this or that? Or, you know, the carpet. Their carpet has, has split churches, you know. Just nonsense. It shows how carnal people are. <clears throat> and fleshy. Body rule. Babies. <clears throat> so that's why we just let it just sink in a little bit right there. But that's true. And Paul told the Corinthians, you're, you, you have all these gifts of the Spirit. He said, you, you come behind and no gift. He said, but then you're, but you're carnal. So just because you have gifts of the Spirit doesn't make you a, a full-grown person. You know that baby Christians can prophesy. They can have a word of knowledge. They can have all those things. But that doesn't grow you up. What grows you up is the Word of God. But we're supposed to have a perfect heart. So, But when it comes to things of God... The only time you can waste money is when you're doing things God hasn't called you to do. Then that's a waste. You know, if I got involved, if the church got involved in doing certain things and the Lord didn't tell us to do it, then that would be a waste. But if he told us, build this, build this, do that, then you can't spend too much. And so that's why we know it's for the king. We know it's for him. So we believe God for the provision. Amen. When I know that God's I don't have to talk God into it. it. It just boosts my faith already. That if it's God's idea, then I'm not going to have to like twist his arm and say, God, can you please do this? I just have to make sure I'm on the right frequency of heaven and then to just do what he says to do. And then all the rest he'll take care of. <clears throat> so we're to serve him with a perfect heart. Say this with me, all the way. Now, just real quickly, just in a couple of examples that come to mind. How many remember Elisha? I believe Elisha went all the way. Now, if you read the account, what happened? He knew that, that he was going to die. He knew Elijah, his master, was going to die. In fact, you know, do you know that how some people knew who Elisha was? They didn't, they didn't know he was a prophet. They didn't know he was... He just knew... He's the one that pours water on the hands of Elijah. Everyone say servant. (laughs) 
So they knew, know, knew him not because of his prophesying, but because he was a servant. And he, 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 he worked and helped the man of God. But there was times where the Bible says that he, he and, and, and Elijah said, um, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He said, what you've asked is a hard thing. Not hard for God. But he said, when you, if you see me when I go, then, then um, it shall be granted unto you. Now, I, I'm sure that, that if he had his eye on Elijah to begin with, I mean, he went to bed with one eye open. I mean, he just, he was watching all the time. Amen. <laughs> I mean, he just, he kept his gaze because he said, if you see me. And, you know, you even had people in the ministry. Hey, don't you know your master is going to be taken? Yeah, I know, but hold your peace. Be quiet. And this happened two or three times, the sons of the prophets. And, and the Bible tells us, so he's there, and he sees him. He says, oh, my father. He says, I see the, the, the chariot and the, and the horses, you know. And, and, and what happens is he, he's, he goes up to heaven. And his mantle falls down. He picks it up. And then he strikes the water. And he says, the God of Elijah. And from there on, the Bible says that he performed twice as many, as many miracles. Even so to where he, he performed twice as much plus one because the Bible says after he died, they, they, they were burying Elisha and they threw him in this, this, um, in this um, actually what happened, they see this pursuing army coming up. So they say, oh man, we got to get, um, Elijah, Elisha was already in the, um, buried and um, you have this band of men and they see, uh, man, we got to get rid of this guy. Um, we got to run for our lives. They threw him in there, but it just so happened to be Elisha's bones down there. And they threw him down there, and the man revived. Now, I don't know who they ran from the most. <laughs> the, the man they just threw down in the, in the hole, or the one that they just, um, or the army they're running after. You know, desperation to do a lot of things in your life. Just being desperate for things, you know. It's like the story of the guys that were, you know, they were after, after church one night. Well, actually, th this case, it wasn't church, and this is just a, a parable, so. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but you had these two guys, though, that they, they were going to take a shortcut through the graveyard. They'd been drinking that night, you know, and they went to, um, through the, the graveyard. Well, there was a fresh grave just buried, and the guy, you know, one guy, he just falls in. It's about, you know, 1130 at night. And he's just scrambling around. He can't, he's like, man, he just wears himself out. So he knows he can't get out of there. He just stays there. He said, well, someone in the morning can get me out of there. About 1230, another guy comes through. He said, I'm going to go through the uh, graveyard too. He falls in the same hole. Well, it just, all his uh, commotion awakes the first guy. And so the first guy's in there and he's uh he just kind of stirs him up a little bit. And so anyway, this second guy, he's just like, you know, just exasperating himself too. And anyway, the first guy speaks up and he says, you're not getting out of here tonight. But you know he did? That's the story. But, you know, you, you, you hear voices from the grave, then that, that'll make you desperate too. He climbed out of there. Amen. <laughs> Desperation can be a good thing. 
So we see Elisha, he went all the way with God. And the Bible tells us, I'm going to, we'll finish with Nehemiah, but I want to look at Nehemiah just real quickly. Such a great um, an account, the, the life of Nehemiah. Talking about Dr. Summerall, he has a whole book just on Nehemiah and about um, all the things that he did. It's amazing when you see a man of tenacity. But don't you look at... Um, That's the wrong verse. Let's see which one is it. Oh, chapter 2. Okay. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now, if you understand what he's doing, is he, he, he found out, he asked and inquired and found out that, the, the, that Jerusalem, the wall was, was destroyed, things were burnt with fire, and he wept and he cried and said, Lord, what, you know, what can we do? And he says in verse 20, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So they proceed to go ahead and build. Now look over in chapter 6. Now one of the things you have to understand, you have these three, you have Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And, and one of the things that we see that that is happening when he's building the wall, and I never knew this until just recently, is these three were in it because they were making huge amounts of money by this wall being down and, and, the, and the commerce and things like that. So him erecting this wall up is going to destroy all that. I mean, no, follow the money. <laughs> and he says here, in looking... Nehemiah 6, verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, because what they here's what they said in verse 2. They said, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Oh no. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Then look down in um, verse 12. And look in verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me. You know, people can prophesy wrongly to try to get their way. For Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, now <laughs> I love these prayers. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and on the prophetess Noadiah 
and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month, Elah, in 52 days. They built the whole wall in 52 days. So less than three months, they, they, less than two months, they built this whole wall. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. How many remember what the Bible tells us about a, um, a man named Gamaliel? And he's, in the book of Acts, he says this. He, he speaks up and says, he says, brethren, um, leave these men alone. If this work be of God, you can't fight against it. He said, you know, there was um, this one called Judas and, and there was this other one. And they, this one rose up and, and all that followed him, they were dispersed. He said, but if, if this be of God, he said, you're going to be like fighting against God. He said, just, I mean, and I think a lot of times we should just have this kind of sense. Just be quiet and just watch. He said, because, you know, if it's not of God, it, it'll dissipate. It'll, it'll, it'll fall apart eventually. <clears throat> but 52 days. So I believe that just like these other accounts, this man of God, he followed all the way to the end. How many times he could have stopped? How many times he could have quit? Well, you know, the persecution is too much. Well, you know, this is too much. But he just kept going. He kept going. He, he didn't stop. The same in our lives. Now think about what Paul said. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about something that's going to fade and rust and tarnish. We're talking about an eternal crown. I've heard testimonies of people who've seen their crowns. And there's different crowns in the Bible. We know of at least four different crowns. So all those different crowns, he said, it's not going to fade away. He said, but not only to me, but also to them that love his appearing. Amen. We, we, we still preach the rapture. We still preach the appearing of Jesus Christ because we know he is coming back. So what does that mean? Yes, we're supposed to be ready for him. We're supposed to have a, a, be looking unto his appearing like he could come back this afternoon. You know, that, that keeps me... Now, read, read what um, 1 John says. And it talks about those... Um, in fact, let me just turn there real quick. 1 John 3. You know, when we have an, an expectation of Jesus' return, I mean, no, that keeps us in a, a place of holiness. It, it keeps us in a place of living a pure life. Now, look at... Um, 1 John 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. 
And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, if you just skip back a page, 2 Peter 3, listen to what Peter said. He talks about the day of the Lord in verse 10 will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, since we know that this is going to happen. Notice he says, What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And then I like the way Peter ends his, his epistle. He says in verse 17, you, you therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things ahead of time. I mean, no, to be forewarned to be, is to be forearmed. Be prepared. He says, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, you fall from your own steadfastness. That's why the Bible tells us, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen. Steadfast. That means I'm going to go all the way to the end. That means I'm not going to get to the, oh, there's the finished race, and oh, let me get out, and then I'm hungry right now. No, I'm going to run my race all the way to the end. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. <laughs> he says, don't fall from your own steadfastness. Don't let people say, well, you know, you're just a little bit too radical. You know, you just, you actually just pray too much. I'm going to crank it up. Amen. I've, I've gotten a lot bolder in my life the last couple of years. And the older you get, maybe that, that has something to do with it. But you just realize certain things, you know, but it's like it's not time to dilly-dally around. But, but, you know, if people think that, that we pray, well, you, you guys just pray in tongues, it's going to be even more fervent. It's going to be louder. It's going to be, you know, you guys, this, this, and that. You know, and I'm talking about your life. People might look at you and say, well, you know, man, you just talk about the Lord. Tell them it's going to be even worse. <laughs> or better, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Amen. We're just going to turn it up. And he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So I exhort you with these words today because the time is short. And we need to be steadfast. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. If we're always abounding in the work of the Lord, yeah, not, not time to be. It's just like those, those three uh, Tobiah and Sam Ballot and, and those guys, it's like, sorry, you know, you, you, you definitely have to stay out of the land of, oh, no, because when, when people want you to come over there, it's like, oh, no, not that, you know. Stay out of the land of, oh, no. If people get offended, that's fine. Sorry, are, are you too good for me? Um, yes. I'm too good to get into that gossip. And, you know, you really have to watch it with, with Christians because... You know, a lot of times sharing prayer requests, prayer requests, it can be gossip, you know. 
But, you know, I'm, I'm not just, I'm just telling you, it's just so you can pray. And go for two hours about talking about something. Amen. And, you know, same thing with prayer. It turns into worry sessions, too. No. Find the need, and then you pray, and you pray fervently. Yeah. See the answer. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we just bless you this morning. We give you glory and we give you honor. We give you praise. We just lift up the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. And Father, we just thank you right now. Even as we've encouraged the people, Lord, to endeavor to share your word. Father, I just thank you right now that we will be steadfast, unmovable. That we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. Even when things come against us. Even as the Apostle Paul said, he said, there's an open door before me, but yet there are many adversaries. Lord, we're not going to magnify the, the adversaries, but we're going to magnify the opportunities for the gospel, for the kingdom. And Lord, we just purpose in our hearts today that Lord, we're going to go all the way all the way even to eternity.